0: what's up everybody welcome back to the building efficiency podcast this episode is presented by aeroseal aeroseal's turnkey suite of duct sealing and hbac efficiency energy conservation measures provide three to five year paybacks and are installed by their in-house mobile operations crews throughout the world their proven solutions have been utilized by nearly every NAESCO member providing over two billion dollars in energy savings to date Excited to have them sponsor not only this episode, but a number of episodes throughout this year. So on today's episode, we sit down with Dana Guernsey from Voltus. I know I say this a lot, but I really did enjoy this conversation. Dana brings a level of intellectual curiosity, sincerity and passion to the conversation, which really sets us up for a revealing conversation about her background, why she decided to co-found Voltus and what role they're playing today in the energy transition. Be sure to stick around until the end to hear about Dana's daily non-negotiables and what she wants her lasting legacy to be. We hope you find this episode to be valuable. And if you do, we ask that you download this episode and future episodes. We also ask that you subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. Now, we think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Dana and I. So let's drop in. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Building Efficiency Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Dana Guernsey, who is the co-founder and chief product officer with Boltus. Dana, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, I know we had a, a mutual uh, contact put us in touch here. So I'm glad we we're able to carve out time and, and make this happen. So before we get into uh, BOLTIS, which I'm, I'm really interested and in, in curious to hear more about uh, your organization, I think our audience would uh, benefit from hearing a little bit about your background, kind of where you grew up and, and how you got started in your career.
1: Sure thing. Uh, well, let's see. I'll start. I grew up in New York City uh, and I can then start off by taking you to college, which is always a fun place. I studied engineering at Dartmouth for both undergrad and grad school. It was there I first found my way to the environmental mission of working in the power sector, which at the time, I don't think was that obvious, at least not to me. But I had a few professors who really connected the dots for me. And I heard about a company called Enernoc, which uh, is now LX and was really the first true demand response company. So I was drawn to that business model. Uh, I had never heard of anything like paying customers to use less energy. So it just seemed like something I really wanted to be a part of. So I went to work at Enronach after grad school at Dartmouth. And I ended up staying there seven years and just got completely, totally hooked on the clean tech sector and specifically the electric grid and electricity markets. And it just was clear to me that the design of it all, great market design, efficiently run markets can have this enormous impact on climate. And yet it's pretty overlooked. I don't think, I know about you, Jim, but I don't know if most people go about their day thinking, gee, I wonder which power plants or which distributed energy resources are being used right now and and why to give me this electricity. So that I would, I would agree.
0: Most most people, that's probably not going through their mind. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's,
1: it's, yeah probably a fair statement. So anyway, after Enernoc, I joined a battery storage startup for a few years and really got to know that space. And of course, the potential of energy storage has become more and more as it's become more cost effective. And ultimately, Greg Dixon, who's one of our other co-founders and Voltus's CEO, called me and we started talking about the next evolution of Enernoc. We had worked there together and more broadly distributed resources and virtual power plants and Fast forward, here we are today, having founded Voltus and grown in over six years to manage uh, just shy of three gigawatts of distributed energy resources across North America. All
0: right, that's that's perfect. So, a couple of things I wanted to uh, wanted to dig into there. So, so one, anytime I see co-founder, you mentioned you know founding it obviously with another uh, colleague. There, what prompted you to kind of pursue that entrepreneurial path, right? Because there's always a level of uncertainty. There's of course the the mission and, and the values and you know, kind of starting your own organization there. But what was going through, you know, your mind at that point in your career saying, hey, I'm, I'm ready to start something from the ground up? I,
1: I, to be honest, I don't know that I ever was ready. Okay, uh, okay. But, <laughs> but I definitely saw the opportunity. There had been a lot of turnover in the space. I think it was really hard to make clean tech companies work. And I had learned a ton and I just saw the opportunity to come in and rebuild much of what we, or I felt like we had started, but the market had evolved, the ability of customers and their loads had evolved. And I wanted to build something that could show that you could have that double bottom line impact. We talk a lot about doing well by doing good. And just to prove out a success story in the clean tech space is very motivating. As were the people I was doing it with. So there's, we've Voltus has four co-founders, and I can't imagine working with anybody else. And so that combination of team and and product market fit and the timing of the market just felt like something I couldn't pass up and might not come again.
0: No, that's that's really neat, and that's kind of a uh, that's a common thread throughout our podcast is hearing about the uh, the entrepreneurial journey, the entrepreneurial path and uh kind of what the inflection points were and what you're seeing in the market and you know that's i think that's super interesting so the other thing that that kind of caught my ear there was virtual power plants that's a term that i've been hearing just over the last i'll say year to two years people talking about it could you just give us a a little bit of information on what a virtual power plant is and maybe just kind of the the one-on-one version of that
1: sure maybe first let me start by just unpacking what distributed energy resources are so ders and then and then we can go further so there's four categories of DERs. We talk a lot about um, flexible load or demand response. There's distributed generation. There's energy storage, which includes your your electric vehicles, your EVs, and then there's energy efficiency. And so those those four things in aggregate are distributed energy resources. uh, Anything, any commercial or industrial customer that has flexibility in their operations, they actually can be a DER. Any home that has controllable water heater thermostat, that's a DER, building management systems, all of these things. Uh, And then when taken together, you can think of them as a virtual power plant. They compete right alongside the other power plants, the coal power plants, the nuclear power plants in the market. Uh, And yet they are distributed. And so I think that's where the word virtual comes from. Hmm. But it is the direct displacement of a traditional power plant, yet it's providing the exact same service and it's paid in the exact same way and monetized in the exact same way. So from that perspective, it's it's, uh, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, okay. That's the best explanation that I've heard yeah. to date. So I appreciate you unpacking that and walking us through that, which I think kind of sets us up for for Voltus. So uh, for our audience out there that uh, may recognize the name, they may not, could you just tell us a little bit more uh, about how you guys are going to market and what you're bringing to the table here.
1: Sure thing. So at at a high level, we are a technology platform that connects distributed energy resources to the electricity markets that value them in return for cash. So we connect energy things to energy markets for the purpose of ultimately earning money for our customers, while also making uh, for a more resilient and flexible grid. So if a friend who knows nothing about the industry asks me what I do, I say that, I pay customers to use less energy or to use energy better. And then they say, okay, great. Uh, well, where do you get that money from Dana? And that's when I say that to our, to your prior question, Jim, that's that's when I would say we compete in the same markets that traditional power plants do. So we're actually just paid like a power plant, except we help offset emissions rather than create them. And then the next question is typically, well, what's the catch? And then Depending on how much time I have, I might start to explain the complexity of electricity markets, how they're extremely fragmented, and that ultimately our job at at Voltis is to, through our platform, shield our customers from that complexity. And so we go to market with this very simple value proposition of better energy, more cash, and we do the, the behind the scenes, making the complex simple for them.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. And is there a particular vertical market or customer segment that you guys are really focused on? We talk about like types of facilities and kind of go-to-market strategy, whether that's commercial we, buildings, industrial power plants, is there a particular segment that you guys are seeing more interest from? Uh,
1: we So it's actually quite varied. Uh, we have upwards of 40 different vertical uh, or segments that we wow. target. And we have uh, a different way of of engaging with each of them, but at the at the highest level, like what guides our value proposition is that we need to make sure we're delivering more value or more cash to our customers than anyone else. And so we're very pragmatic about that approach. Like we exist because we're also trying to affect the energy transition. We want to stop the climate crisis, but we need to do that in a way that recognizes that that might not be the reason that our customers aren't in business. So for each of those verticals, In fact, it's almost certainly not the case that they are in business. They're in business because they are running their business, uh, making their product or whatever it is they're doing. And so our customers need to make their business work. And we're going to come in by trying to help them save on expenses or squeeze out more profits. And so we're very focused on the go-to-market approach that if we provide a financial incentive to our customers to use their energy better... But that's how we can then move the needle on progress uh, towards our mission of this double bottom line impacting the climate crisis. So we have to provide that financial value proposition to each and every customer or partner that we work with. And that's where we get into understanding their business. And our sales team is focused on understanding. So some of them will cover, go really, really deep into a certain vertical commercial real estate or a big box retail. Mm-hmm. And they'll understand how those customers operate.
0: Okay. Okay. So I think you, you touched on this, but just to um, pull the thread on, on this particular topic of, of how you're serving your customers, you know, a lot of the people listening to this might come from the, the ESCO industry, energy savings performance contracting, where to oversimplified version is they help their customers save energy. Is there a portion of that type of concept? Do you guys participate in any sort of like shared savings model with your customers as ultimately a, a revenue stream for Voltus?
1: We do. I think the majority of our business is the the revenue share where, where we're taking that payment as a power plant and then sharing that with our customers. But we do also go deeper with customers and we'll help them, for example, uh predict their the hours where the grid might be peaking that will mm. ultimately set their demand charges. So we call that our peak saver product and our 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 platform works to Predict those hours and then help them reduce their energy during those hours. Ultimately, for the purpose of saving them energy on their electric bill, so any sort of peak demand charge management would show up as that shared saving. So I think that would be that would be the parallel.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay. So if there's a particular time of the year where utility rates are high, there might even be like the batteries. You touched on battery storage, right? Maybe you kick in a battery storage process, and that is help. You know, what what eliminates some of those peak hours? I know this is an oversimplified version of what you're talking about. I'm I'm just trying to process it and you know understand better what you guys are doing. But that's that's kind of what clicked for me was the battery storage aspect of it.
1: Yeah, and it gets to the complexity of it all. So so we'll look at we'll look at a, a customer's energy spend holistically and try to understand how can we give them the most value. Now that value might be from participating in wholesale market programs where we're able to just simply cut them a check, mm-hmm. or that value might be in making sure that they're not triggering higher demand charges during certain hours of the year. And we'll optimize across all these different, uh, across the value stack. So we talk about offering the whole value stack, but then we weave together the best mix of things for the customer and really like spare them the brain drain. on trying to understand all the sausage making behind
0: the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know I appreciate you walking, walking me through this cause I I'm just kind of anticipating our audience and I'm picturing my, you know, someone listening to this and they're just trying to understand it and conceptualize it. So I appreciate you, you breaking it down and walking us through that. That's uh that's excellent. That's great stuff. So, um, so Dan, I think what, uh, what I'd like to do next here is just kind of look at the future of the industry, kind of where you see the industry heading. If you were to forecast the next five, 10, 15 years, it sounds like you guys are already at the cutting edge of, of a lot of this, but you know where do you see the industry heading, and, and where do you see Voltus's role in that vision?
1: It's a great question. So, first, I guess there are these macro trends that I think probably many in the audience are familiar with. There's the ongoing transition to renewables. There's the push for the electrification of everything. So it's not just electric vehicles, but but the heating in your home, for example, so really electrifying everything. And then there's this greater need for grid resiliency. We're seeing rising costs and frequency of grid events, natural disasters that then drive the adoption of on-site generation and a desire for self-reliance. So think back to Texas during the infamous winter storm Uri in February of 2021. I think every Texas business at that point, if they weren't already, they started thinking about resiliency after that experience. Same with California during the summer of 2020 when they were experiencing blackouts. So the theme in in all of this is that the grid is kind of simultaneously very fragile while also becoming more and more decentralized, more digitized. What we can do today through software and IT is very, very different than even just 10 years ago. So when I was at Internoch, what we could do with software it w- just is, is not where we are today. And so we're just seeing a lot more engagement from customers. We're seeing a lot more capabilities of their building management systems. We're seeing a lot more from energy storage developers and partners and electric vehicles. And so all of those are these macro trends. I think just to tease out one more with this increasing renewable penetration, the markets themselves are also shifting a bit. So they're increasingly valuing quick, short-duration, high-frequency responsiveness on the demand side. So it's a ton of what we've built is oriented around fast. So when I say fast, maybe like 10 minutes or so, fast response, automated response. We're specifically focusing on building out those direct market integrations with the grid operators so that they can account for these quick blips on the system, say, when the wind isn't blowing or or, or there's some other outage for some reason.
0: Got it. So, so as you're, you're mentioning that, I'm just thinking about when you talk about building out kind of the future and and your participation in that. And, and I think this might be a good opportunity where, you know, my world here, um, as on, on the search side, the recruiting side might intersect. As you look at the future and you look at like the growth of Voltas, is there a particular type of individual, a particular type of talent that you're saying, Hey, this is how we're going to, we really need to scale this type of position, this type of role in order to meet where we see where the industry heading or a company heading? And maybe that software development, I'm just thinking like uh, giving you some options here because I'm putting you on the spot. It might be just pure sales and business development. It might be, you know, back-end software development. It might be project management or engineering, right, development, uh, you know, folks that really understand the technical side. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I mean, we've been very, very fortunate in our ability to hire uh, really talented software engineers. Okay. I think that we we often get asked that question, uh, and in fact we we find that the folks who come to work with us are often very mission driven. So mm-hmm. sometimes we'll pick up software engineers from some of the big tech companies and yeah. they're looking for a bit of a different mission-driven organization. So I would say that if that is resonating with people that we're always looking for that type of individual. We talk about hiring bright, gritty, and good people. so it's it's not so much what. Every role, of course, having some experience within the role is helpful, but what really makes candidates stand out to us is when they are aligned with the mission, they're intellectually curious about the industry, and then we engage with them and we find that they're extremely bright, they're pretty, uh, they're, they're persistent about wanting to accomplish and, and impact change. And so that uh, is a large part the fabric of our team.
0: Yeah, that's really cool, and that's uh, that's really encouraging to hear that you guys have had success hiring these software development engineers. Because you talk with other executives that it's, it becomes these horror stories that a lot of these folks just turn into mercenaries, right? Because they they know how in demand their skill set is, and they end up driving up the price for their services. And it just tends uh, to be very difficult to recruit and retain individuals with that talent.
1: Yeah, and I, I, you know, I should say we don't we don't take it for granted in any way. Yeah. Um we spend a lot of thought. And time and effort on on our culture, mm-hmm. so we're an all virtual company, and we always have been even before the pandemic and so we've we've very intentionally tried to think about how we build the culture and how we scale the company in this all virtual environment. and so it's something that we focus a lot of attention on, so wow. we we don't take it we don't we don't take it for granted and and I think many, many people would say that uh, many, many leaders or executives would say that people are the number one asset.
0: I would, I would agree. I would agree. And yeah. um, and
1: if they don't, maybe there's some other problem. But.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, I think that's, uh, I think that's a great point. I think there's a lot of companies that could probably learn from that, right? You know, building a culture, being intentional about it, even in a remote environment. So um, that's really, that's really impressive there. So, so let's transition to the, uh, to the last part of the show here, the same four questions that I ask uh, every guest who comes on. And Dana, I wanted to lead off here with what are your daily non-negotiables?
1: Well, aside from coffee, which is certainly... Most that's, certainly the my first, that's the
0: baseline. That's the baseline. That's the baseline,
1: first non-negotiable. Uh, so I always make sure I spend quality time with my kids. I have two kids. They're six and four. Uh, and since I work, uh, I, I'm not with them all day long. So we make sure we get some quality time. Professionally speaking, uh, so aside from the kids, I actually start... I make a point of starting each day it's interesting you ask this question because I start each day thinking, what is my one non negotiable thing today? Meaning, I'm very busy. I have a lot of meetings, but I'm going to commit to finishing one thing. It can be big, it can be small, but I won't let other distractions delay me. And so each day I make sure that I do that one thing. So a little bit of a, if the non negotiable is having a single non negotiable per
0: day. Yeah. yeah like you if everything to- falls apart, everything goes, doesn't go your way. At least you get that one thing. If I check that one off, get it done. You had a good day.
1: Yeah. So it's like, today, I'm going to do this one podcast with Jim.
0: <laughs> hey, I made the list. I made the non-negotiable list. All right. Cool. Cool. All right. So what uh, what advice would you give to your 22-year-old self when you're coming out of uh, undergrad at Dartmouth?
1: This was a tough one. I mean, I, I'm sure my 22-year-old self could have used a lot of advice. Uh, I'll settle in on the advice that you should work with people you love. I think you join a team of people, not a company. And so I, I keep that in mind too every day as as I'm also leading a team that to retain the best and brightest, it needs to be... It can't just be a job for people. So the just a job job is not what I want. Uh, and it's not what I want people on my team to experience. So I think that as a 22-year-old though, that that's not obvious. That you think a lot about what company you want to join or what function you want to be in. But I really... For me, it's much more about what people are you going to want to work with and and everything else falls in place from there.
0: And what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: Uh, Not to be cliche, but the kids. So being the best I can for them, doing something that one day will make them proud. So at Voltus, we're were working on combating climate change, uh, which is Arguably, one of the biggest challenges. It's not the biggest challenge of our time, so that motivates me. That someday I can say that in my career I was working on leaving the environment in a better place than it otherwise would have been.
0: All right, I think that that's got to tie into the last question here. What do you want your lasting legacy to be?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we're building a company. We want to accomplish our mission. Uh, We want to help bring about this energy transition we all need. So, I'd I'd like to. Have that be uh, a legacy, but also tying it back to our, to one of your initial questions to me, you know, about building both is I want to prove out that it's possible to build successful companies that make money in the climate tech space. Mm -hmm. And so to, to scale the doing well by doing good line, like to scale the doing good, you have to do well. And so it would be great to help pave the way for other entrepreneurs to look at this space and think similarly. I think clean tech and climate tech has often been a scary place where you're not sure if you can have both. And so we need a lot, a lot, a lot of smart minds and great businesses to accomplish what we all want to accomplish with the climate.
0: Well, I think that's a perfect way to, uh, to wrap up the show here. So Dana, thanks for being a guest on the Building Efficiency Podcast.
1: It's fun. Thanks for having me, Jim.
0: You got it. All right, there you have it. Episode 77 with Dana Guernsey. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did enjoy it, please be sure to subscribe to our channel wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcast. We hope you're sharing this with your friends and colleagues as well. And one last thing, if you have any future guests in mind from the industry, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you loyal listeners. So until next time, I'm Jim Schaefer, and we'll catch you on the next episode.